Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. A quick note to our loyal strangers. This episode is a little scarier than our usual fare. Nothing grotesque or salacious, of course. We're clinging to that clean rating with all our might. But overall, the story might be a bit too frightening for the little ones in the audience, who we know like to listen along. Now, on with the creep show. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. It's finally here, Halloween. Well, practically, as close as we're going to get anyway with this Tuesday release schedule. So, welcome to our second supersized October episode. We've enjoyed digging into the legends that make us think of spooky season. The phantoms and creepers and haunts who crawl and slither along the corners of our cultural imagination. You'll recognize them. The archetypes that exist both in our waking lives and in our nightmares. The flapping bats and creeping spiders. The howling wolves, the dense forests and the lonely roads. The scarecrows in the fields. And then there are the clowns. Clowns are spooky. That's not news to anyone who has read Stephen King or heard of John Wayne Gacy or honestly watched a single episode of Bozo from the 1970s. Seriously, who greenlit that? But the precise nature of our growing cultural fear of clowns is quite interesting. And we do want to say, if there are any professional clowns listening to this broadcast... Please, forgive us. We appreciate your craft, and we're sorry that so many have besmirched your tiny cars and giant shoes with so much terror. We regret that in the telling of this tale we may be adding to that, but alas, we are mere harbingers of the strange. It's not personal, it's just business. Weird business. As you'll probably remember, the height of the latest clown panic was in 2016. But the truth is, clowns have a history of causing similar panics, and long before the 21st century. 
The stories we're telling today actually take place in the 1980s, also known as the prime time of the Satanic Panic, and certainly at the height of what was known as stranger danger culture, when Americans, especially young ones, might be forgiven for imagining predators around every corner. And it would be natural for children who were told again and again to fear a shadowy stranger to give that stranger shape, maybe a shape that they found familiar. And maybe that shape wasn't always a clown, but it often was. Clowns have a funny way of turning up again and again in scary stories. It's something about their makeup, tracing out exaggerated expressions, hiding true faces we can't quite see. And so, to begin today's story, we need to introduce you to the theory of an expert who, while he's never heard of us, we nonetheless consider a friend of the podcast, Lauren Coleman. You might remember him as the paranormal researcher who coined the name of our favorite mouthless, noseless, hairless, Massachusetts cryptid, the Dover Demon. Well, Mr. Coleman has been a busy man through the years, and the early 1980s were no exception. As far as we know, he was the first person to write about the phenomenon of what he calls phantom clowns. In fact, Lauren Coleman has an entire clown classification system that he uses to sort the media stories that trickle in. After all, he's been around long enough to experience more than his fair share of bozo hysterias. And Lauren Coleman thinks that the clowns we truly fear can be broken down into three categories. The aforementioned phantom clowns, killer clowns, and stalking clowns. We'll work through that list backward, starting with the most recent. The clowns involved in the 2016 panic are what Coleman considers stalking clowns. Quote, a new phenomenon wherein the clowns appear in public without any apparent intent other than to be seen, to startle, to shock, or to surprise folks. The next category, killer clowns, includes actual, real-life murderous villains, the John Wayne Gacy's of the world. But the final category is the fertile field our show is made of. The phantom clown a term that Coleman coined for a phenomenon he first spotted in 1981. He describes this specific type as, quote, the uncaught clowns who are luring children into the woods, vans, and cars in reports. These are routinely unseen by parents and police. No photographs of them are presented for examination. According to Coleman, the phantom clown might be likened to the folkloric Pied Piper of Hamelin, luring children away with an enticement. But these pipers have something that the Piper of Hamelin didn't. Vans. Strangers, we find this fascinating. We grew up being warned about, well, strangers in vans. Not your kind, the danger kind. And we found, as we dug into the earliest stories of what Lauren Coleman would consider to be phantom clown sightings, nearly all had one thing in common. The children would report that men, and it was always men, dressed as clowns, in vans or near vans, would try to entice them away from safety. So, woven into the fantastic was a very real concrete thread 
from our own childhoods. In regard to the Phantom Clown Panic, it seemed to begin in 1981, when schoolchildren in the greater Boston area began to report something very odd. That May, the Boston Globe published a handful of articles that, when patched work together, paint a picture of quite a mini-panic. A May 7th headline read, Beware Clown, pupils told. According to this report, police were seeking a man who was, quote, seen wearing a clown suit from the waist up and was naked from the waist down. Children had reported seeing this man in a van, a black one, in, quote, Franklin Park in Roxbury and the Mary E. Curley School on Center Street in Jamaica Plain. A police spokesman told The Globe that the man was wanted for questioning, which, well, seems pretty reasonable considering what we've just told you. But it seems he wasn't the only creepy children's entertainer who'd gotten his hands on a black van. Because, per The Globe, other reports had come in about a pair of clowns this time in Brookline, and children claim these two, excuse us, bozos, had, quote, an older model black van with ladders on the side, a broken front headlight, and no hubcaps. Brookline, a town that borders Boston proper, is a generally pleasant place, and not accustomed to vans full of anyone harassing schoolchildren, clowns or otherwise. It seems that children had begun reporting sightings several weeks before, Though exactly when isn't clear, and per the Globe claimed that the men were trying to entice them into the vehicle. This was taken seriously by Brookline officials, at least initially. The school superintendent issued a formal warning. The police contacted administrators, and a memo was sent out to principals of elementary and middle schools. It was written by one Daniel O'Connell, described by the Globe as an investigative counselor for Boston School District 6 and it read as follows. It has been brought to the attention of the police department and the district office that adults dressed as clowns have been bothering children to and from school. Please advise all students that they must stay away from strangers, especially ones dressed as clowns. That memo seems to have had both its intended and then unintended effects. According to Lauren Coleman's Mysterious America, clown sightings seemed to spread faster than the district's warning. He found reports of, quote, clown men harassing children had come in from East Boston, Charleston, Cambridge, Canton, Randolph, and other cities near Boston, and local law enforcement in all those areas had gotten involved too. They were on the lookout for clowns. And, as it turned out, there were kind of a lot of clowns. Apparently, Boston had its fair share of children's entertainers who performed as innocent clowns, which must have been an awkward couple of weeks for them. And per Coleman, quote, police were stopping pickup trucks and vans, delivering birthday greetings and clownograms. However, the scrupulous Boston and Brookline authorities did not come across a single van, black or otherwise, with missing hubcaps or intact ones, full of lascivious gestures. It makes sense, then, that by May 9th, the authorities seemed to be pretty much over the whole clown thing. Per the Globe's article headlined, Police discount reports of clowns bothering kids, no reports had come in from adults who'd actually, quote, seen clowns doing anything questionable, 
The police said virtually all reported sightings of clowns originated with children 5 to 7. Captain Alan Hughes of the Cambridge Police told The Globe, We've had rumors, but nothing substantiated. Kids were taking the rumor home from school to their parents, and the parents were calling the police, and then one parent to another and to their kids, and it just snowballed. It's self-perpetuating. Brookline authorities briefly thought they'd caught up with that two-clown black van gang, but no luck. Per the Globe, they received reports that the clowns were cruising around town, quote, dressed in clown suits with red and white polka dots with false noses and hair and faces painted white. And imagine the officer's surprise. When they arrived on the scene, the van was indeed there. And it was black. But there was only one person inside. Not a clown, just a citizen with, quote, proper identification, and probably one who was fairly surprised to be the center of a midday sting. After that, the Boston-area stories seemed to fizzle out. But, oddly enough, they picked up just as quickly halfway across the country in Kansas City, Kansas. Had the children there somehow heard of the scare in Boston? It seems unlikely. The coverage had not been particularly heavy, with only a few news articles to market. In the Midwest, however, the Phantom Clowns made a much bigger splash. Per a number of news reports, it seems that Kansas authorities were quick to connect the local children's fears of predators to the Atlanta child murders which were happening down south. Kansas City authorities noticed that the Kansas clown sightings were occurring in majority black neighborhoods. Back then, the entire country was aware of what was happening in Atlanta, where someone was killing black children in their own neighborhoods. Remember, this was in the spring of 1981, before Wayne Williams was arrested. There was only the specter of a killer, an unknown. Police assumed, it seemed, that the children in Kansas City were on edge and had manifested a local creature to represent that. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode, kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Kansas City reporting began on May 22nd, just a few weeks after the initial scare in Boston. At least at first, sightings seemed to indicate a single clown on the loose. At least 10 schools reported rumors spreading about, quote, a man dressed in a clown suit molesting or abducting schoolchildren. Per the Kansas City Times, quote, students and parents, including a Kansas City, Kansas police officer, had reported that the clown was offering children candy to entice them into his van. As is the case with all classic phantom clown stories, at least by Lauren Coleman's definition, it seems that no adult had actually seen this clown, and no child could provide a clear report or prove physical harm. The principal of Benjamin Banneker Elementary told the Kansas City Times, No child at this school has been harmed by a man in a clown suit. But that didn't stop parents from worrying. Per the Times, children were coming home with wild and specific stories of the clown's appearance and of the van he drove. They described the clown's yellow or sometimes orange van as variously decorated with demons or painted with garish spiders or joker's faces or candy canes. Pretty conspicuous, really, if you're trying to creep around town, but clowns have never been subtle. If that wasn't bad enough, secondary reports of a man dressed as a joker trickled in, followed by reports of two clowns in two vans having some kind of clown meeting in a parking lot. It was a regular nightmare convention going down in Kansas City. Police continued to follow up, but didn't seem particularly worried. The City Times spoke with one mother who decided to keep her children home from school while the clown scare was happening. Carol Johnson said one of her daughters had spotted the clown on her elementary school campus. He came right up to her schoolroom window and stared in. And that was hardly the only sighting. Reports came of attempted kidnappings, of attacks on street corners, of clowns everywhere. But when the police arrived, no clowns. Children, though, had their stories to share. Sixth grader LaTanya Johnson told reporters that she'd seen the man locals nicknamed Killer Clown. He was dressed in a black shirt with a devil on the front with two candy canes down the side of each of his pants. Kansas police, though, didn't put much stock in these reports. You can imagine why, what with the candy canes. That is until a mother called in to report that she had seen a van. Now, she hadn't seen a clown, not exactly, but according to the Kansas City Times, she'd seen a yellow van approach her small daughters as they walked toward the school bus. The van paused, and her daughters stopped too. Then, after a few moments, her children ran home screaming. Per the Kansas City paper, a clown with a knife had ordered her children into his van. He was described as in a clown outfit and had, quote, painted his face with polka dots. Because the mother witnessed the van, Police took this more seriously and, per a spokesman, classified the incident as an attempted abduction. We don't want to panic people to make them think there's a Atlanta-type situation here, said Kansas City Police Sergeant Jim Treese. But today we have the first sighting of the clown that's been verifiable. Apparently, police have been dealing with calls in both the Kansas and Missouri areas of the city. 
in the thousands. And even though they took this report seriously, Sergeant Treese wanted to issue a reminder to the citizens. Legitimate clowns in the area sometimes drove vans for legitimate clown business, and reporting birthday clowns and clownograms and whatever else clowns are hired for was really slowing down the system. Now, strangers, the thing is, even though the police classified this sighting as verified, it still fits Lauren Coleman's definition of a phantom clown, in that an adult didn't actually see the jester. She was just told of its existence by her frightened children. Now, of course, we can't say for sure who or what was in that van. Maybe someone decided to frighten the kids because some people are terrible. Maybe someone was dressed as a clown in that yellow van. But without proof, the phantom clown designation still stands. No adult had laid eyes on the clown. How much had been stirred up by the children's imaginations? Weeks of rumors and stories at school of candy cane pants and spider vans and Halloweenish nightmares around every corner. If a monster could exist in Atlanta, well, why not Kansas City? But just as in Boston, the Kansas City stories petered out, with no actual proof ever appearing. Other stories of 1981 phantom clowns did pop up here and there. Lauren Coleman makes mention of Rhode Island social workers reporting students were stirred up there over similar rumors. But ultimately, nothing surfaced. And nothing ever does, right? That's the whole conceit. The phantom clowns who began this whole panic, who gave birth to the stalker clowns another generation would fear. They lived at the corners of our imagination and, perhaps, right front and center in our children's. Maybe it was Atlanta or Stephen King or the tendrils of the satanic panic fervor or all the anxiety of strangers or all of it at once swirling up to engulf children here or there in spades in panic. Ultimately, much ado about nothing. Except for one strange thing. In at least one instance, in Kansas, this time in 1987, the children were right. And their phantom clowns could not so easily be explained away. Perhaps our bestie Lauren Coleman would rescind that title based on this story, but it does have all the trappings. Save one. This time, the adults, they did see. According to the Kansas City Times, it was Independence, a metro outcropping of Kansas City, that was facing the phantom clown issue. School officials had received the usual warnings that clowns, too this time, were lurking near the school grounds ostensibly for nefarious purposes. The usual sightings of clowns in trucks and vans were reported, and children walking home from school offered up sightings as well. Principals promised supervision, and bus drivers were on high alert. Teachers lectured their classes on safety, and parents got the requisite, hello, we're writing to terrify you, letter sent home. But this situation had one new feature that all the former phantom clown sightings had lacked. Children constantly reported that the two clowns lingering in the woods just next to the school, they were videotaping them. Yes, 
1987, technology had finally come far enough for creeping creatures from the nightmare realm to visit Radio Shack and invest in real surveillance technology. No adults had seen this. Not that September, but the elementary school where this was happening was getting understandably nervous. Per the Times, they didn't have a full fence around the property. We find it interesting that the administrators took this so seriously, so quickly. Was it simply the presence of video cameras? Or had the six extra years of the satanic panic helped along the suspension of disbelief? Strangers, we have no idea. But we do know that the police conducted a thorough investigation. Now, if you paid attention to the last few tales, you'd know what to expect here. Lots of reports of vague sightings and officers running back and forth across town without anything to show for it. We might even end with a frustrated quote from a sergeant who's getting too old for this. Well, you know. But no. In Independence, the police's investigation bore fruit. Per the Kansas City Times, they continued to seek out witnesses and spoke to several more children. Eleven days after the first sighting, two ten-year-olds playing soccer at another elementary school spotted a clown, yes, this time just one, with a video camera. They described him as, in a clown suit with red and orange hair and a white face. A little girl also saw him and gave police a detailed description of his clothing. The clown was also spotted again by another boy. But this time, the boy saw the stranger sitting in a, you guessed it, van in a parking lot near the school. When questioned, a local woman also told police she'd seen the van there at the same time, but that she couldn't see the driver. There you have it, an adult witness. Now, you might say, okay, well, that's cheating. She's no more an adult witness than the mother who saw the van in 1981. And you'd be right. But she wasn't the last. Because, as the clown and camera sightings continued, there was another, very specific detail that struck police. A custodian at one of the elementary schools reported that he'd seen a man, quote, wearing face makeup near the school grounds. In the time frame, a clown would have been in the area to be spotted by the children. Now, the Kansas City Journal doesn't describe what kind of makeup, but we must assume that the custodian felt sufficiently sure this was something in the realm of clown, and thus worth reporting. And why wasn't the clown wearing a wig? Well, if you're skulking around as a clown, and then trying to leave, You'd probably want to remove the most recognizable item of clothing, wouldn't you? It would, at least, make for a less awkward getaway. If the adults hadn't seen those two things, which was down to luck, really, would these children's stories have gone away like the others? Chalked up to nightmares, or reading It, or watching scary movies, the way the other children's terror was blamed on Atlanta and Wayne Williams. Of course, this clown never got all the embellishments, the candy canes, the spider van. But again, we all know how stories become grander the more often you tell them. That doesn't mean there wasn't truth at the center when it began. What does that say about the other stories we dismissed? Could they have had a sticky, nougaty truth center too? 
Children are, after all, as imaginative as they are observant. Grown-ups might do well to learn a bit of both. And while we're on the subject of grown-ups, they would also do well to not get dressed up like clowns and creep around an unsuspecting neighborhood. We didn't think we'd have to say that, honestly, but as Hallow's Eve draws near, it's always better to be safe than sorry. join us next time for a real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support our show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There, you'll get ad-free releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, and plenty of other fun content, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.